welcome to the Timeout Coaching Podcast. Today I have a legend of British basketball coaching, one of the first coaches from Eastern Europe to grace the sidelines of the UK and someone that has helped and had a profound impact on the highest levels of the game in our country. He inspired and developed both male and female players and coaches in his time as national team coach. I would like to give a warm welcome to Coach Laszlo Nemeth. Coach, really Thank you happy to much, see you. Tony. Uh, I'm, I'm really uh, honored that uh, you picked me for this podcast. And of course, uh, maybe the audience doesn't know, but they have to know that we worked also together. We had a working relationship. So I apologize to you in advance that if I will tell things what you know very well, because you lived it through, but uh, might be people who will listen to this, they they do not know the inside things uh, of it all. And of course, we have to tell them that we have a very good, uh, may I call it friendly relationship through Absolutely. years. But, uh, and you're absolutely right, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I, I want to say um, one of the reasons for doing the podcast series was to obviously um, to, to try to, to show the British basketball coaching uh, fraternity that, um, you know, all of these coaches that had come before them um, and, and, and how they had worked, what they did. Um, and I will say that, you know, when I speak to coaches and players, you know, um, their respect and their, their, their love and appreciation for what you did is incredible. And that's why, you know, I really wanted to bring you on early in this series. So, oh, thank you. It's really good to hear because when you are retired and uh, you don't have power or decision-making power at all, then uh, everything what you get is genuine and it's very nice. So, Coach... And it's... it's yeah, I have no. I, I totally understand that, uh, Coach. Let's talk first about um, you know how you got involved in the game of basketball. Um, your early experiences, obviously, your playing experiences, and how they shaped and uh, put you in a position to to become the coach that you became. Right. Okay. Uh, my parents, my father and mother, met at the basketball court. Okay, so both of them were played. So it's, it's quite straightforward that there were a basketball family. Uh, my mother played uh, uh, for Professor Hepp, and uh, Hepp, Dr. Hepp was uh, the founding member of the FIBA with uh, William Jones. And my mother played for, uh, for that team. And I still have that... Uh, that uh, connection with the Hepp family. Uh, you know that even when Professor Hepp died, his family gave me because he graduated at Springfield. Wow. The birth of, of basketball. basketball. Wow. And awesome it was his flag, what he got on his graduation. And when he passed away, his family gave it to me. Unbelievable. Okay. It's awesome. And it's still on, on the wall of my, uh, my room. And, uh, of course, the basketball was an important activity in the family. And after... Uh, 
learning swimming and a little bit doing gymnastics at very early age. They sent me, and at that time, there were no mini basketball. The mini basketball came much later. Uh, so as a as a eight, nine years old, you know, at primary school age, I started to play basketball at the Army Club, uh, which uh, raised me uh, almost until university years. Uh, and when I was selected for the junior national team, uh, that, uh, that was a major, major thing, you know, which accelerated uh, my total commitment to basketball, but there were no question that basketball is, is my sport. Sure. And you, um, you play professionally? Well, uh, you can say professionally, but at the communist time, uh, we were all <laughs> amateurs, you know, right. cheating the amateur rules on state governing body said that everybody is amateur, but you were virtually had on paper a job, but you were paid, but you never seen that uh, that place so you get different kind of uh, uh, resources uh, and paid but uh, it was truly pro professional player but it was simply a cheat because at that time you know international olympic committee rules where only amateurs could compete right. so that's why the state governed on on that way, and that's lasted quite, quite a long time, almost till the till the moment when the Berlin Wall came down, and then everything in life uh, life changed. So the system operated. Now, when you went to a university, of course, the university could not finance you for playing, but there was a rule: if you are a performance and excellence athlete, any kind. If you go to a university, you have to play for the university club. Okay, there were no other option. It's a common style communist economy. So therefore, suddenly universities had elite sports team on the premier division. Right. And that was also with me for the University of Physical Education uh, team I played for. And during my studies. And it was such a, a good basketball section. Like the women team won the champ national championship at one year and they played in the in the Champions Cup of Europe. So that was quite a quite a strong and and uh, at, th at this time, you know, was there some, some thoughts in your mind that you know you would transition into coaching? Did you ever, what was your career mindset at this moment? Or because obviously you were studying, you know, high level sports as well? Quite, uh, uh, it's, uh, I, you know, when, when you first time you represent your country, that's, that's, that's a great moment in an athlete life, even if it's a communist country, because you, you hate the system, but, but it's your country, you know, you, you, you are a patriot, of course, regardless of the political system. Right now, the, uh, that's a big moment, and and suddenly you think, oh, I'm 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 great, I'm superstar. I wasn't. I know now for, with my coaching hand that I wasn't. 
So, of course, ambition is fantastic, motivation, eccentric and instinctive motivation is high. So you, you want to go ahead as a player. And then when I get to the university team, I had a coach uh, and I played, but, uh, but he once sat me down and said, listen, you see what to do but you can't execute on that level because you don't have that physical ability like the, the very best ones. Sure. And he was very honest and straightforward for me and, and said, yours is coaching. And uh, at an early stage during why we were playing on Premier Division and everybody had that ambition that up, 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 national team, and so on and so on. I started to coach a secondary school team together with my studies and everything. And it was on the division two of the secondary education setup. And after four years, it won a championship, uh, losing only one single game during the season. And that, I knew that, that also my coach was right. And, and I knew in that moment that that's the path to wow. take. And at this time, um, you know, were there some, this, this person that was coaching you, was he a big influence in that, in some of your early coaching philosophy? Or were you looking at other coaches? Were you looking at any of the Russian coaches? What, what, was, your, what was your background to trying to develop your own kind of philosophy? Uh, uh, of course, you know, the, when you get to the first time selected for your country, that coach is in your mind because first time he beat me, it was Ferenc Harishuki, later uh, was a head coach of Luxembourg. Uh, <clears throat> then uh, Ferenc Banki, who was my teacher, professor and coach at uh, the university, he had a great influence on me because he was he was pointing me out that that I'm not going to be the superstar player. I was okay, but... Yes, sure, sure, sure. From, so, okay, I accepted that. And, uh, of course, then I started to focus on coaching. And he also helped me to get in contact with other coaches. For me, a greatest influence and mentor was, at the time, in a very difficult political situation where was Ralph Klein, coach of Maccabi Tel Aviv. Wow, wow. Who, who won first time uh, European Championship final with Maccabi against Real Madrid in an unbelievable final when Korbalan against Aroeste. So it was legendary and legendary. that made Israel to be on the, on the, on the map. And, but Israel had no diplomatic relationship with Hungary. Israel virtually did not exist in the methodology or, or, so it was that tough. And Ralph Klein was actually lived uh, after the war, like three streets down from my parents. Okay, because he was a Hungarian Jew. 
Now, to point out to you and to everybody, uh, Tony, that uh, what a person was who suddenly accepted me, mentored me, and, and I just went to a European championship to the hotel where they were and introduced myself and, and who sent me, I told him and said, okay. And ever since he took me with him when he was with Los Angeles Olympics with Germany, I was always there. He, he taught me a lot, unbelievable, unbelievable. And uh, his parents were gassed during the Holocaust in Auschwitz. And I'm telling you, Tony, why sport and basketball is bigger than anything else. My parents are German. I'm German. Wow. You understand? Yeah. So, so it, is, it, it gave me something of humanity and, and believing in sport and internationalism in sport and all everything that who is what kind of religion and race and uh, does, does it doesn't all, matter. No. Doesn't matter. So, so, and I'm very, very solid on that. Now, yeah. he also helped me, again, United States at that time is far away and the Americans didn't like people coming to, from the communists. So he arranged me to go to St. John's University to see Lou Karnaseka. Wow, okay. <laughs> and he was my second big influence in, in a coaching. And I spent at St. John's University with him time. I still have, he gave me two films and I still have it, 40 wow. years old. <laughs> Look at that. Not even VHS, Super 8. Yes, <laughs> that's <Super> awesome. <laughs> one, awesome. One, one is on offense, one is on, on defense. Unbelievable. And, uh, and really his work and everything influenced me big time. And I picked up things tactically also. But here comes the philosophy also, if I can a little bit shift how you form your philosophy. He had a a setup, you know, against man-to-man with a cut from the point through the paint and giving a back screen and after the back screen coming up again. And... And I was thinking a lot about this, and I said, well, this is not too good that the point guard leaves that, that place. So I changed a little bit. And this, is, this was my old philosophy always, learn, then assess your team, and apply. Wow. Or necessary progress. So I progressed the, uh, to a very successful offense, what you know also called the fist. You know that. You played also, I know, with Newcastle, I think. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, this is it, that you learn and you progress. And I always spent a hell of a lot of time designing, preparing, and there was always my basic principle, the drill for skill. You know, and even if I had a video of a next opponent, then I started to think that what kind of breakdown drills I can do, especially making the point for the preparation and for the players. Coach, okay. um, I'm going to 
phrase all of this as a the question, but first of all, you you take your first professional job at uh, Sesepel uh, um, Sport Club in in Hungary, um, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know that has to have formed this, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you did then internationally. But you know now, you know one of you know. We talk about this word drill creation. Um, I personally know there there really has been no one in this country, and and even someone like Coach Nick Nurse, um, who's now an NBA World Champion, you know, has often said this to me. You know, your ability to look at a basketball situation and create drills just where were you where was this coming from did you you know this was this something like you're describing just now this was coming in your mind you'd look at the situation you'd where 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 is this creativity because we could talk for hours on some of the drills you came up with in the UK that's a danger Tony that two of us on a very same frequency and we start to uh do let me tell you an example. I had a team, uh, Chapel, which uh, I started with, and there were a hell of a lot of problems with the turnovers. We had great number of turnovers, and the passing was a problem because I forced an offensive game, a fast break, which requires very accurate passing. And I just couldn't improve from week to week. Now, Uh, My favorite sport after basketball to watch is ice hockey. And I was up in North America and uh, was fortunate enough that I was let into a practice of the Toronto Maple Leafs Canadian hockey team. And they were practicing fast breaks with a pack with high speed going and with certain little gates they had to pass through to each other. I immediately picked up a note, wrote it down, went home and started to think about it. And you may have seen with those poles, you know, passing between the poles, high speed and doing triangles and lines and one pass, two pass, no pass between, and improved our, so the problem was solved for the team. So it was always, always watch, take, but don't copy. Right, interesting. (laughs) Watch, take, think, apply, but not simply copy, you know, if you are a sure. if you are a photocopy, then then I don't think that no, it's you. Absolutely, but but there, but you never um, just like you just talked. That's a great example with the ice hockey. But you never ever your mind was never contained in just basketball. It was there was so many things. I mean, my my obviously, I mean myself and a number of the coaches that work with you, along with the players, will remember drills such as the balloon drills. Um, you know, they, just just stuff that came. You know, we had never seen anything like this. And you would never see something like that, you know, in, say, college basketball in America or NBA. So, you know, that creativity in your mind, was that just come from you or you had someone that you had seen that was also pushing like this or because this was no, incredible. Well, I would say that uh, it's uh, and it's came to me, you know, uh, in Europe, 
the coaching options are not unlimited like in the states in the states if you are NCAA, NCAA Division One coach, you almost own the team. You're almost more the boss than an NBA. You know, so so then Bobby Knight can select the very best one to Indiana QCs at his his big time because everybody wanted to go there. Yeah. Now I had limited players. And this is why I'm very grateful to Chepa for my first professional team, because it was a team which was before champion and almost relegated. And no coach wanted to take the position. And I was 27. So I was forced to think how to solve problems. And that thinking made, okay, learn as much as you can, take, evaluate, and try to do a, add a little bit more and adjust to the players you have because being in a relegation zone is not attractive to a superstar to sign for you unless you are extremely wealthy, but that, that club wasn't. Okay, so, so that was behind that the early years I turned that kind of uh, creativity in drill for skill and that that remained you know when because it's proved if you if something you succeed then then you start believing on it and and am I am I right in thinking though um, you know there there was this huge amount of creativity this drill creation um, which certainly the players loved you know because no one practice was ever the same I mean I will right. tell any 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 person uh, that listens to me you know I used to have the pad and it was a literally a clinic every single practice session that you coached that I was involved with and that every player knows that the same but at the same time there was an effectiveness for it and there was a there was an end goal and that was to improve the players and the team so it wasn't just you know superficial but the players also had fun along the way was that something that you always felt was important correct it's there are different philosophies you know if uh, there are coaches who say repeat 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 and always the same Repeat. That's that's also, a, and there are some coach who could succeed with that. It's it's. Uh, I don't say that my way is the only right way. Uh, so it's. Uh, I don't say that. But I think that engaging the players, thinking that okay, why did he come up with this today? Uh, uh, why I have to? Why I have options? Why you understand? So it's somehow I you spent. This is really a full time job to to follow this kind of path because uh, you spend much more time preparing than the actual session itself. Absolutely. But you want to achieve that the players start to think or understand the same things what you are at home on a notepad and watching videos and and pointing out your previous errors and what you want to do interesting this was uh, by the way this was the tragedy with with England you know that there were no 
virtually we went, as you know, without preparation. And on the first game, we always lost. Yeah. And then yeah, we yeah. spent uh, two, three uh, days and and maybe two weeks together. And then we had wins against Slovenia and away in the Czech Republic and winning in Latvia. Then you lost at home in, against Switzerland because that was the first game. Yeah. And the guys just walked into the gym and that was a pain. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. So let's move. Um, you, you so you spent uh, six years in 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 Hungary. You know, in your own country. What was the next phase to decide to leave Hungary and then go and coach? Um, and specifically, you went to the Middle East. Well, it's it's uh, it was mainly uh, a political scenario. Uh, I got previously an offer from Northmont Cork from Ireland to take the team there. And the Hungarian authorities simply, because we couldn't leave the country without an exit visa. It's Western mind, it's- Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Yeah. But you have to apply for an exit visa. <laughs> and then they started to ask that why you want to, and, and normally you could travel private things three years only once. And so it's, I don't want to go on that. No, 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 no. They no. refused. They refused, and I got got very angry. And uh, then I was in a clinic who, uh, in uh, in Greece, and then the Kuwaitis approached me, and they asked me that, "Do you want to take uh, our our team?" And I said. Yes, but the Hungarians are quite tricky. And uh, I said, okay, let's work it out. So through Ralph Klein, I got an invitation to the Los Angeles Olympic Games, which were boycotted by Hungary. Right. And and the, and the whole of Eastern Bloc. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And then, but there in Los Angeles, the contract was ready. I signed it and I sent it home to Hungary saying that, okay, here we go. I, and then they said, well, come home to discuss. And I said, well, no, I don't. Let's discuss it. Okay, I pay all the taxes and everything what you want, but you agree. So I think they realized this, the hard currency is better, what they deducted from my salary. And uh, then they agreed. And uh, I didn't go back uh, uh, to Hungary until the, the uh, Berlin Wall came down. But I paid the taxes. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I spent a year in Kuwait. Uh, and, what, and, and at that time, you know, working with the club and the national team, um, you know, were you starting to develop a different philosophy? You know, uh, what type of coaching? Well, obviously the I must be very, very honest and frank because I guess this podcast is about young coaches and aspiring coaches. I was lucky because I get a team which had incredible resources, which had the best players, and virtually in the league, we had only two teams which could be some kind of a threat in the domestic competition. So the four years there resulted six national title cups and and unbeaten records and everything. So, but the resources were so good 
that uh, gave me such uh, um, an opportunity, you know, to to play and truly the the international competition they call it the GCC Championship, which is Golf Cooperation Council. Uh, and participating in Arab championships and Asian championships as well because the resources was there. I wish I would have that there with the England team. And uh, and uh, that was a very successful four years. And, uh, and I'm so glad that, for example, one of my players there, Faisal Bruce Lee, became the the national team coach of Kuwait later on. So a Kuwaiti national could coach the Kuwaiti team. So also very happy, very happy. And uh, but uh, and after that, I moved to Scandinavia. Yeah, geographical, geographical sauna from <laughs> from the, the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and where... how did you how did you end up uh, um, in Iceland? How what what was the connection there it was again uh, you know because i attended to international clinics and learned and listened lectures and we were in italy when i was together in sharing one room with einar botlason who was uh, previously iceland national team coach and uh, and a club coach and suddenly out of the blue at my fourth year in Kuwait said that here we have our great team which previously been championship and struggling we were six in the last year and the fans are not happy and as you know club level nobody happy so we decided first time ever to hire a foreign coach are you interested and of course it was a massive salary drop, needless to say, uh, but uh, but I wanted to coach in Europe and I wanted to go back to Europe. So I went uh, and I took that job and uh, it was uh, it was two years and the first year we became second and the next year we won a championship. Now you were asking about changing philosophies. Now, Telling you, in Hungary, I was very offensive orientated, fast break, high scoring, not believing type London Leopards entertaining, but no. uh, but organized fast breaks and so on. Arriving in Iceland, again, assess. See, I saw the team. Well, I said, it's realistic that they were second, so it's defensive game. That's defense can win the game. Sure. And the offense... We, there were teams, you know, Keflavik scoring 100, 110. And I had a very young team. The bottom line is when we won the championship, only the relegation, relegating team scored less basket than we. We were the second wow. lowest scoring team and champion and like 28 games were within five points for our favor. <laughs> and it was low score game. It was boring. Well, boring. It's not boring for the home fans, but that was the only way to win. Awesome. And, uh, and it's, it's, it was just straightforward. Yeah. 
and mm. totally had to change everything and build up. You know, I don't say that I didn't know defense, but okay, now it's defense, defense, defense. Right. So that was that was Iceland, where we're also one more historical thing. And again, sport and politics always. It was the very first time before even March Loin is gone to the NBA when an American and the Soviet played in one team, and that was my team, and it wow. was even in the USA today, front page. <laughs> Still have, and Jonathan Bow from Indiana Purdue and Anatoly Kovtun from uh, Stoichev Kiev was the two player, and they didn't. The, uh, Toya couldn't speak English, so but I speak Russian, so I was the communication wow. channel wow. as well. Awesome! It was it was a funny. Crazy. So you you went back to uh, you went back to the UAE to the United Arab Emirates just after Iceland and then back to Iceland again. Um, you know, at this time, um, you know, in your mind, um, you must have a pretty fixed, you know, understanding of the game of all facets of the game. So you must be pretty confident. Um, what after that ten years of international basketball were you? looking for uh, the, the like the national team type job of the of England or what was that process in your mind in that respect the, the national team uh, uh, well in Kuwait and in Iceland I also was club coach and national team coach okay so it's a duo it's it's a very difficult scenario because from the greatest rival club always says to you that oh you fancy your own players but <laughs> yes you you fancy but usually at the end of the bench you know so at the end of the bench there are two equal ability one from your club and one from the other club then you opt for your your own club because that's not a significant part of the national team. Who is a star is anyway selected. So, you know, but this always exists and this is a favorite point of the media. So that's that's a little bit of a difficult to take, to have national team and club at the same time. Uh, the England scenario happened, uh, uh, well, it, it started on, on club level, according uh, to Peter Horn, who, who told me that we played on club level against uh, an English club in, uh, in the Korachkov. And they already printed, I still have it, the, the program that, okay, the next team is KR Reykjavik, uh, and after that we shall play with four days in <laughs> Then they lost in Reykjavik, and they lost in London as well. Wow. Okay? So, and after that... Who, uh, who, was, who was coaching that team against? Who were you coaching against? Let me not say names. It's, okay. it's not... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's not against the coach because on top of it, I respect that coach uh, quite highly. And uh, and what happens then, uh, somebody was sitting from Sport England and told Peter Horn that, who is this guy? Uh, 
um, can be happy. And Peter Horn and David Ransom was the two who said, okay, do you want to take the national team? Wow. And then I went through the formal interview, you know, English are very formal, <laughs> and uh, advertised that you had to apply, and then you went to the interview, and then they decided. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and it was quite uh, okay at the beginning because uh, David Ransom was also a coach, so he had subject knowledge, uh, but I didn't know all the political issues behind it. Uh, and I could speak to him when I said, okay, Dave, I want the national team practice Mondays at Stockley Park in London. For sure. Something, wow, what regular. And then the BBI was quite strong at that time, but somehow succeeded and we had, we started to to train regularly. And then uh, they asked me that what we need that we can progress from the level of Malta and Gibraltar to where they were at the time when I when I took the team. And I said, well, we have to host the qualification round. And it's achieved, so credit to them, it was in Birmingham. Mm. And we, we qualified, we, so we started to get further up and then came the Bosman ruling, which was, which was a killer, right. which was a killer. But, was a killer. but, uh, but oh. am I not, um, at this time, surely, um, you know, when you first got in, uh, into the job and you, you started to assess the, the talent pool, um, am I most, um, am I right in saying, um, you were originally, it was just the men you were in charge of, but, and then they put you in charge of the women. Is that how, how it went as well? Or? I was, I was just, uh, for the men. I never coached female team in my life. Uh, I had lectures and, uh, and, uh, different kind of clinics and, and training sessions, uh, you know, when I, they invited me, but but I never was in charge for a female team before. It's, but it's later came in much later. A couple of years passed when when uh, there was a change of presidency and Betty Kaduna became the president, and then she said, "Now you coach the women team as well." Right. Okay. So at oh. this, when you first took the job, though, when you're assessing specifically the male uh, talent pool, you must have been excited by, you know, by the players. You know, what what was your what was your first thoughts? I mean, some of the players we had at that time and still, you know, uh, the, you know, these are legends of the game. The I it was uh, I was stunned. I said, "Wow." <laughs> What an athletic talent! What a what an ability! What a wow! And at that time, you know, they 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 played all in, in the UK, right? But really had to uh, earn the trust of the players, if you know what I mean. Because uh, here you go, we never had an Eastern East European coach. We. Uh, here is somebody who comes uh, from the Arctic Circle. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I had to establish uh, and explain that what I want. And 
And I told them that I had the trust that this ability deserved much more. But I must also tell that my very first thing after the appointment was that I picked up the phone and said, Kevin Cadle, come on, let's sit down together and let's talk. Yeah. Because I'm not pushing you out from the job. I uh, think Kevin was resigned or or whatever happened. Absolutely. And we had and we till his death we had a, a very good uh, relationship. And I sat with him about two and a half hours in London. And that he said a lot of things. What I say, oh well, he might be disappointed and everything, but but I know I am wrong. I was wrong at the time. Sure. He was very accurate. Yeah. And uh, it was a very professional discussion. So some alarming bells were there. But still, I saw the players and I said, I never had in my life such an athletic ability. I never been in my team so many good players, including Chappell, where Sergei Kovalenko played for me from the 1972 Olympic gold medal winner, Munich Olympic gold medal winner. He was the backup pivot and he was my foreign player. So, but as as so many talented players together where I really can select, I said, wow, that's that's going to go forward. And... And and did you, um, so you, you, you bring this, you know, the, the first initial teams together, you're watching them play in, uh, you know, in the domestic league. Are you start, um, thinking about changing the style of play? Are you, you know, what, what was your mindset going in from a, from a, a philosophy standpoint? And, or was it more about creating a different culture? Because for sure, I think that you were the first coach to bring this, you know, incredible level of professionalism to the national team in almost every single area um, and demand higher standards of the national team. I think that there's no question that you were ahead of your time doing these things. Well, of course, as I told you, you know, that those regular training sessions in uh, in Stockley Park was a bit of a shock. Uh, uh, and even maybe for the players were surprised because they don't get used to it. That uh, national team, not a club, but start to operate a little bit. Okay, let's see each other more. Let's learn behaviors. Let's uh, uh, so. So that was certainly a kind of surprise uh, for them as well. But uh, I guess as the time gone, uh, they realized that I'm in business. And that was a great partner in this, uh, Steve Bucknell and Peter Scanderbury. Uh, they, they must be credited amazingly uh, because without them, uh, the others, I don't think they would follow. I mean, Roger Huggins also, who was a Mr. Nice Guy and, and an absolute coachable person. So so suddenly having those three and they are turning up and training, plus Ronnie Baker, yeah. who was a very silent but a, an absolute diligent guy. So, so there... In, in that term that I could earn somehow, and you have to ask them, not me, they trust, but I felt that, that after a little time they, they got the message. 
and those four somehow started to pull in the others as well. Not everybody, not everything succeeded. That's that's no question. Conflict and conflict uh, management is part of a head coach job. But I would say it was very promising. And after Birmingham, when we we qualified, uh, then I thought, well, okay, it's it's going all right. And. I mean, one thing about your, am I right in saying this about your, your coaching philosophy, which I think was, was certainly one of the things I, I saw firsthand was, you know, this conditioning component. Um, so there was the, obviously the technical and tactical components, which were again, another level to what I had seen and most players and teams were operating on, but there was this conditioning component um, that, you know, you demanded of the players and it was kind of like these it was just to build the base but you know what, what was your thought process with regards to this okay the, uh, of course as uh, as a PE teacher and as you know I have PhD as well on uh, on on sports coaching so somehow I felt that uh, especially with the national team your time is so limited that you you cannot operate as a club fully sure. so Okay, here are the drills what I designed, but let's try to achieve that that as close as possible to game conditions physiologically. So I always, after the warm-up, put to the beginning of the training session a strong physical push that they do some cardio work, uh, fitness work, that suddenly you out of breath and now here comes the coach and tells you that this is how you have to do you you understand so and if you I was so lucky like uh, Steve Buckner who had such an amazing work ethic and working extra that stayed after the training session uh, started to do skipping rope and went to the gym even after the, up there in Stockley Park or or Buckner was who told me, coach, give me an individual shooting program. And he was a ready-made product. So make no mistake, it wasn't me who, who made Steve Bucknell and Scanderbury great and Ronnie Baker great players. I inherited them, you know. So, so, but that was a great example that, okay, this is right. You have to be fit. You have to be able to work under cardio pressure executing the coach's idea when you are under cardio pressure that helps a lot on this situation where your floor time is is extremely valuable because it's so limited so uh, were you de- so you had a whole series of sessions that were designed uh, you know f- around that because of course time was of the essence in and, yeah. and it's even more so uh, when you were coaching because the the preparation time was almost nothing um so you you dis- you you put that com- uh, conditioning component ahead is that is that correct like yeah. of the of the of the actual sessions well it was virtually creating a situation rather than because, of course, then they went back to their own clubs, you right. know. So did they do or they didn't do? It was entirely up to their professionalism. Uh, but this this was the main idea behind it. Right. And of course, there are 
you know, I have to tell the one folklore story, um, which, you know, any person that's been involved in any of your programs, whether it's in uh, Scandinavia or in the Middle East or within Europe and, and specifically here in England, um, the bench drills, um, which, you know, uh, became famous. They're, they're, they're folklore between some of the greatest players that have ever played this game and people like Coach Nick Nurse and unfortunately Coach Kelly and and, uh, you know, Coach Finch, all of these great coaches and stuff are all seen firsthand. I mean, what, what was the basis to that? And uh, was that something that you, that you designed or? I designed it. Um, uh, it was from, from gymnastics actually. And again, you had, uh, you had to do something of a physical work. What all team is working together because that's a teamwork simple equipment rather than investing to whatever fantastic super machinery and it is all usually always you know at the time was every gym around in the uk for sure (laughs) here we go let's use it Okay, and, and of course, then I started to, of course, that that move helps a lot for the shooting. You put it between your legs and you have to go down and you have to keep down, otherwise the bench hurts you. So, so again, you know, thinking that what can I achieve, what is related to our game, and it's a physical load. Yeah, that's great. Now, um, in this time, in this 10 years, you know, of time, you know, talk just very quickly about um, some of the real achievements and and also, you know, some of the frustrations because, you know, as a national team, we got very, very close and that group was an incredible group of players. And, you know, given a slightly different, you know, circumstances in, res- in respect to preparation, the team could have even achieved even greater uh, results. I have no doubt that what you were saying is is right, and you were part of it also. So, so uh, the major issue is uh, that at the very early stage, when when a when a group stage, you know, or or semifinals, it started, you know, the first game always comes always and it was such a pain and and uh, you know this uh, club national team uh, uh, conflict or or problem which exists in soccer even you know sure. that the clubs have a, but that's the player's job you know so I I understood when when a player said as a coach I I, I I can't come. I I just I'm not released, and and that's my job. Yeah. And that's a professional word. So, so yes, I could be a, a tough cookie and play tough cookie, but the federation wasn't uh, strong as in Eastern Europe and and even Spain and Italy. When they say now <laughs> everything stops, it's national team preparation time. There were other commercial interests. Of course, the players' livelihood and income dependent that they are doing the job, what they had. So it it was a, a virtually, you know, put put me on a wall, and and I always thought that, oh, okay, I'm getting out. But then 
they started to make such a big wins. I said, well, come on, we, we can take the world. So it's gone year by year that, okay, let's carry on, let's carry on, let's carry on. And, and it's, it's, it's somehow always just on an airline slipped away. Right. Do you think that, um, because of course, from a pure commercials time, you know, the, the sport was never, had never been in such a great a position, you know, especially towards the end there with the, with where the BBL was, you know, and Sky and all of these things. Do you think? Well, it's no, no question, Tony, that uh, looking commercially, uh, premier uh, division is 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 entertainment also you sure. you need fan base you and the sky contract helped them big time i do not know exactly that who made that crucial mistake when they terminated uh with yeah. sky sky that was uh, yeah that was a wrong decision because That's, yes but, it's sometimes difficult to deal with with resourcing organizations, but but you sure. have to live it. But do you think and that? Do you think at that time um, that yes, the game had great profile? But do you think that um, if the BBL and the federation, you know, especially if the federation had been slightly stronger, do you think that they, the 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 key of the national team having success, you know? sustained success you know could have driven the game even higher and people really missed that you know they, they they missed the understanding of what it took for the national team to be successful and, and that was commitment from all parties uh was it a question or a statement but i agree with it and i firmly believed it if it's your thought as well we are again on a on a on the same frequency i think in the UK, where basketball is in a position as it is, and I don't want to start another one hour discussing uh, the political things and, uh, and UK sport uh, behavior and approach to the game, but uh, I firmly believe that there must be one organization uh, to run the sport in this country because, again, it's not sustainable. It's financially not viable that so many organizations run the thing. And I strongly, name it as you like, I, I don't mind, but it's need this sport with that amazing player base on a grassroots level need a decisive one organization to lead, uh, and that is the key that the flagships, the national team, will also be better. There was a chance during the Olympics, but again, that's gone. Uh, not because the coaching expertise <laughs> not there. You yourself was involved, and uh, NBA the best coach was involved, and everything. So it's. I don't think that it was, but it. It's again gone, yeah. and that was an opportunity. What what uh, the sport could build on? 
Okay. Very quickly, let's discuss just uh, your role in, you know, on in the female side of the game, because um, I've talked to a lot of people and, you know, um, there were just as equally as many female players that you impacted um, and coaches. And and just, just talk about that, how that situation, like you've, you've explained that Betty, you know, asked you to become involved. What was the, 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 the process with regards to that then? I'm, I'm honest to you, and I was uh, quite uh, afraid of uh, when, when she said that you do it. And, uh, and uh, well, let's be honest, the, the female game is horizontal game, the man game is a vertical game, okay? That's uh, politically correct or not, but that's the fact, okay? <laughs> Now, uh, and I was uh, hearing stories and differ from coaches who coached female teams, and they are of course friends and colleagues. And I was uh, I was a little bit scared because I knew how the man team is underfunded, and the woman team was even more. I mean. Tony, we were we were practicing uh, category A prison after uh, the inmates were locked late night, and myself and my assistant was driving the girls home. I arrived home at three o'clock a.m. So uh, they didn't get per diem. They did nothing. And then. I saw this incredible will and commitment what these girls had to attend to these these sessions that I would say I fall in love with them. It was so good to design for them a training session and then carry it out that I was just simply happy. Sure. And I'm still in touch with many of them, even if we live thousands of, of miles away, and that's 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 a great feeling. Again, a biggest thing, once somehow finally, you know, putting money into a preparation scheme from different parts, including my own, uh, we had a training camp in Hungary prior to the European Championship, but the men and the women championship was at the same time, so I had to go with the man team. But just to tell you that they lost on the qualification round uh, three points to France, which became the European champion. So again, shows that if you prepare, then you can win. Who who coached but, the team? Who coached the team in in your absence? It was Brani. Brani, Brani coached it. Yeah, Brani, yeah, so. who took the team to the European qualifications, and and all of of that game was none of them was just running over. No, I'm you know. Not. So it is, and I'm so happy to see that the Great Britain women team is so successful now. And I'm annoyed that politically they don't get the funding from UK sport. That's really pissed off big time uh, because that's a result. (laughs) Fourth in the European Championship and now they just beat Poland, which was a dominant force. And, and And I'm 
I'm again so happy that people who worked with me gone much further than me. Vanessa, who was my team captain at the uh, the woman team, uh, now is the assistant coach of that successful national team. Nick Nurse is NBA coach of the year, NBA title winner. Tony Garboletto, internationally recognized, establishing in Asia a professional league and coach in Japan, Bodoar Gutjonsson in Iceland, who was my player at the end of the bench, now led the team to seven championships in a row. You know, so so this is this is something good when those people make much further and much better produce much better the result than yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe so, but uh, you know, the never no one ever forgets uh, the influence you had on all of our lives and you know how much that just meant on both on the court and also off the court. So never take that for granted and I don't know about everyone has a ability like, you know, Nick will say uh, he was you know, extremely fortunate, but of course, an incredible talent, you know, to get where he was. So that's great stuff. Um, one, just it, talk. Is, it is nice, as I said, I mean, here it is. There it is. That's right. You know, here is, here is his, what he sent to me. So you, you understand these, these are clean, genuine, real. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's a fantastic, uh, idea. Um, just, uh, right at the end, um, you know, it's two, two, 2004 ish, you know, what, what, what was the thought process there about, uh, moving on? Was it, was it just, um, just the frustration of the whole system? Um, you know, just, just not being able to. I was, I wasn't, wasn't able. And again, was very happy that Scanderbury. Uh, who was at that time the assistant coach that he could take over and he succeeded on the Commonwealth Games uh, winning a medal. So that's that because he really was an absolute loyal person like yourself yeah. uh, uh, through the uh, through the years. So but it, it, it just just couldn't couldn't go on. Okay. Couldn't go on and 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 then I, uh, the academic life was a great satisfaction, especially the last nine years at Chichester University, where where uh, I had the boss of uh, the best boss of my life, I would say, <laughs> and uh, and that was really. And I wish everybody, when your life concludes, to have such a job where somebody gives you the opportunity to give out all the accumulated knowledge, experience, and uh, you can teach young people uh, according to your principles. Now, they take it or not, it's entirely up to them. But that that was certainly a satisfying period of my life. One thing, um, and we need to just have a short discussion of, is that, um, you know, you've affected um, so many players, like I said, and so many coaches at elite, elite level. But the one thing you established in this country was one of the best, you know, camps that the, the country has ever seen, Eurocamp. Um, and what, what, first of all, what was the philosophy behind that? Um, and then secondly, you know, just explain how it's grown, you know, to where it is today. 
it's operating apart from this year when I co- because of covid we had to those 25 years history behind it now as a young coach also i attended to different kind of camps in the states in ireland and uh, and many other uh, places i have seen different camps and uh in the United States, you have stations, you know, where you have uh, limited time when you do the same drills. There is one drill, and then the players move. And again, and I started to think, when I, if I'm a coach, I'm, I might not like that, that all day I have 10 minutes for the same drill and the players. Are. So I said, let's do something different. Let's give the coach the freedom of one hour to run the session. I give the title of the topic. The player also will experience that Tony Garboletto teaches the fast break this way. Bill Baddeley, who was the coach of Nick Nurse, by the way, Unbelievable. Uh, yep. uh, will teach the same fast break differently. So the player also can realize that, oh, this one emphasizes this aspect of the fast break, that one emphasizes that aspect, and the coach itself can give himself to present himself to the athlete. So we have, of course, the the four teaching session, and the coaches rotate, not the players. And then in the, uh, in the afternoon, we have, because every coach has a team, of course, in the conference. And then we have, uh, we have the championship, like in every, every camp. Sure. And uh, like in Barrow, which, uh, is, which was the, the principal camp, let's put it on this way, and that's our, our headquarters, where an outstanding very well organized administrator uh, Chris Smith is running the show and Absolutely. with his his family and they keep virtually alive now the the whole operations and this is what gives the coach freedom the player enjoyment and learning environment good learning environment and as well there is a fun and competition which is the cream of the cake to play the game. So I think that's one of the reasons why it became such a success story, because it's clearly a success story. Absolutely. It is without sponsor. It is without external government funding. This is absolutely sustainable. So if somebody says, when Laszlo at the EB Times suggested a couple of things, and maybe I proved that it's it could be done, sure. but it's hard work, Tony. It's hard yeah, work. Sure. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And it's yeah. it doesn't make you a billionaire. That's also true. No. But it's not producing a loss. No. Okay. But- more importantly, it's touching young players uh, and young coaches as well that you brought in and um, brought through. I mean, even, am I not mistaken, someone like Gareth Murray was yeah. on the camp and then is now, you know, being... He was on the camp. Now he's right. a coach. Yeah, he's there, a, a kid 
will attend. You know, Michael Ball met Michael. with his wife in the I camp. was there. I was now there. Now son... Yes. Now their son will come as a player. Unbelievable. So it's, uh, of, and of course, like always, there are many, many stories of John Grant driving from Scotland on a minivan, uh, the abroad players. And uh, so there are, there are many contributors to the success. It's again, a developed idea. And I found very good partners, you know, like Mike Bernard, every, every kid likes Mike Bernard, huge Mike Bernard walks in every kid, they, they jaw up. So there are different kind of thoughts why it is attractive. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, changing tact, um, you know, you, you spent, you know, the best part of over 20 years here in this country. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on British basketball coaching and the fraternity. You know, do you think that we utilized you and your knowledge um, to the level that we should have? Or, you know, do you do any thoughts on where, where the coaching has gone? Let's start on the end of, uh, end of your questions that, uh, did you utilize or not? If I was invited somewhere, I always went and I did my best and I prepared. Okay. Now, if I'm not invited, I didn't go there. So it's, uh, it's, uh, that's about it. And, and it still exists because I go here and there and where I'm invited, I do it. Now, uh, the, the bit, uh, what I felt that there are amazing, amazingly committed and enthusiastic and knowledgeable coaches somehow working in a little castle of their own because they have not a, a massive trust on, on those who are in charge for the game. So like... You Ipswich, for example, there is, there is. Then you, then you go down to Turkey. There is also a, a pocket, and then you go up to Newcastle. There is there also. Then then you go to Sheffield. Uh, you you understand what I also missed that somehow the coaches in England doesn't have that power which could influence decisions you and and i miss that that unity and voice of of a coaching association which is not just about the clipboards and about but it's oh, now now hold on guys this is what should happen yes yes absolutely and 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 where is a united vote? And if somebody is taking anybody, let's say Mark Dunning or Tony or whoever takes and speaks, then the others loudly support it. Yes. You know, sometimes somebody, okay, picks up, start to speak, and then looks back, and then there is nobody behind. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so... As per technical knowledge of the coaches, I think it's very good. I mean, if you if you use the resources now and uh, in the cyber world, wow. you can visually follow. You so you you have much more 
than my time when I was a young coach. You have much more. More people, more coaches are accessible and so on. What I feel it's important, again, you don't, don't be a copy. Don't be a photocopy. <laughs> Take, learn, and think about it. Yeah. Uh, I tried to it's, explain that as well. That's a great, uh, <laughs> that's great stuff. It's, it's, if you can add a color, and and that's what I often say to players, you know, here is guys the, that offense the fist. Here is the frame. I give the frame, you paint a picture. Yeah. But if you paint a picture on the wall outside of uh, the frame, I kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so this is this is about it. And I think the British coaches are knowledgeable. It's the resources, the printed ones are. I mean, English mostly because it's an American game. So. And I felt that, uh, that they have very solid, good knowledge of the game. Right. Okay, let's wrap this up and uh, with four quick questions. Um, I'm going to reverse this. Um, it's, this one for you is going to be tough because do, do you have a favorite drill um, for someone that is, has the most drills, almost, you know, too many? Do you have a favorite drill that you uh, enjoy let, running? Let, Put it on this way, I really love that uh, passing setup because I still, still thought it can figure out that, oh, I didn't use this option. Right. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, I, I love that. But also in tactically, I because I, as a player, was not a great athlete, but was a good shooter. So I love to play against the zone, you know, <laughs> so... So tactically, zone offense is 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 one of my my big favorite. And you you still influence me and a number of coaches on that area as well. Still, still your still a lot of your concepts hold up even in today's game a thousand percent. You know, like really do so. Um, you have a favorite go to saying or statement, something that you used to t to say almost all of the in every practice. Okay. I would, I would have a, and it's for coaches, for players, for everybody who is involved in basketball. You must have high goals. You must have high goals, even in hopeless situation. That's a conclusion of my life, coming from a rubbish communist country where everybody had no hope. You must have high goals. And if you can stick to it and go for it, you will have high, uh, great rewards. Awesome. I love that. So high goals, great rewards. Awesome. Uh, favorite all-time basketball coach? Uh, well, of course, you know, now, now I have to say, uh, because I'm extremely happy that Nick Nurse uh, reached that peak, uh, <laughs> you know, while the the prophet he reached the Mount Everest of basketball. Absolutely. So uh, I'm a Boston Celtics fan, but needless to say, I'm a Toronto Raptors fan now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, uh, I'm I'm really grateful to many. Uh, reasons to Ralph Klein, who was uh, who was my mentor, 
and uh, an extremely successful coach. Tony, can you imagine? He came with Israel national team, silver medalist in the Toronto European Torino European Championship, and he had not a player over two meters. When Soviet Union, Yugoslavia, Czech Republic, Poland, and they got the silver medal. That that was the brain. You yeah. understand. I met him. I met him at uh, Maccabea when I coached there um, many, many, many years ago. That's an unbelievable story. Yeah, a legend, absolute legend. Now, I, extremely. Um, this is not fair uh, for someone that's coached so many players. But um, no, no, I don't answer. <laughs> well, Betty Bet, Cadona. Donald Trump, I'm walking up. <laughs> Betty Cadona said exactly the same. She she refused to answer it. So uh, you don't have to answer favorite player to coach because too many. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, a matter of fact, I'm likely to start taking this question away because it's not fair to put this on the pro. Uh, on you, you have Donald Trump walking away. Yeah. Coach, um, I, again, um, so many nuggets, so many great things that you've uh, uh, expanded on today. Um, I just want to thank you, um, firstly, you know, for what you've meant to me. Um, but I, I know I speak for so many players and so many coaches. So thank you and thank you for being on the, the time. Tony, I hope if, if it inspires a little bit, because my job now is to inspire people. Uh that's what I feel that that's what I could do. And I hope I could. And, uh, and I hope they, they got the message. Thank you, coach. Thank you. Morning. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify. So please like subscribe and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.